Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the systems responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the voices of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Thank you again so much for tuning in. This is going to be our second part of our Q&A episodes. Uh, Like we said earlier, we got so many really great questions from everyone over the course of this Search and Reunion mini-series. So we're really excited to tackle some more of your listener questions today. Yeah, this is going to take us out to the end of season one of Adoptee's Dish. It's kind of crazy to think about. We have been doing this for a year. Yeah, that's like a crazy thing to reflect on. In some ways it feels longer. In some ways it feels like that's just like flown by. Yeah, it's just been really awesome building community with all of you listeners this last year and getting to know who's on this journey with us. You guys are amazing, and I think it reflects in the questions that you guys bring to us. You guys are right there thinking the big, hard things with us, trying to unpack and navigate the big, hard things, and we see a lot of courage and curiosity in our community. You guys are pretty awesome. Yeah, we super appreciate feeling like any and all of you feel connected enough with us or safe enough to ask some of these questions or even just reach out and let us know when and if something resonates. So we really appreciate um, y'all interacting with us. Absolutely. All right. So let's just kind of um, dive right in. Yeah. So first question, how to go about the search process when you're an international adoptee? Yeah, so that obviously brings some added layers and complications. Um, Obviously, Amy and I do not have enough time today or even know the ins and outs of every country. So I think that part of it is really doing your research and due diligence on what are the requirements or the laws for the specific country that you were adopted in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's super important of just knowing what those protocols look like. Sometimes, like in the case of Colombia, there are entities that will be helpful if you decide to pursue some kind of search. Other times, you know, countries like they don't offer any help and you're having to kind of hire private investigators or go other routes. Sometimes, um, you know, depending on the country, documentation is a little bit more flaky or fraudulent. So I think it really is on a case-by-case basis, but I always recommend people just getting more information about what the laws and protocols are. Yeah. Because it can really change country to country. It can absolutely change country to country, case by case. And then there's always DNA testing too, right? So if you don't have access to any paperwork or say you go and you realize that your agency or maybe the orphanage you were in was no longer there or just doesn't have records, there is always the option to do DNA testing. Obviously, that isn't a guarantee, Mm -hmm. but it is something, right? We were just talking about this before we hopped on about 
all the benefits that can come is not just linking to biological family, but just learning about health stuff. So there's other stuff that we can still discover and unpack going that route. It might look a little bit differently than maybe what you're setting out to, to do, but that's always an option on the table now that we didn't even have mm-hmm. however many years ago. Yeah, I think something we always have to be super aware of too is just bringing in the international component typically means things like cultural differences, language barriers, the need for, um, you know, translators or other entities to kind of come in to be able to help facilitate all of that. So um, a lot of times I find that there's like more layers, um, like more layers, kind of like maybe more cooks in the kitchen that are kind of needed in order to um, help that kind of get off the ground and have everything, um, you know, get lined up there. But I think that that's an important component of, of that with the international piece. Yeah. Great question yeah. though. And it's, it's hard to, I think those barriers can be hard to want to begin that process. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Because it can feel overwhelming to just add on layers to an already really difficult process. But, yeah. Um, I think what's super tricky too is just, and I've even seen this in like in Colombia or with other international adoptees I've worked on, like rules will change based yeah. on the years you were adopted. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people in, you know, this year to this year age bracket, the rules were different. And then, you know, it's kind of switched. So I think it's really doing your due diligence. And sometimes that is, you know, simple Google search to learn about those things. Sometimes it's connecting with other adoptees from your same birth country about how they went through that process or any kind of tips that they can provide. And sometimes it's, um, you know, having to get in touch with entities that are like actually in country, whether it's an agency, whether it's a, you know, institution, whether it's, you know, hospital, lawyer, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. It's complicated. Muy complicado. And I think too, like another, just one like last thing to say about that is depending on what country you are from, there's usually groups like adoptee groups from your specific country. And that would be a really great resource to look, whether it's like a Peruvian adoptee search group or just like maybe a Chinese, a Russia, Chile, Colombia, Korea. And so if there's a way to just connect with the specific country that you're hoping, I'm sure there's somebody there who has gone through this process before and has either connections, ideas, or resources for you. Yeah. Or what's so cool that in some of those groups, like people are kind enough to share like information that they've accumulated along the way. And like, maybe that's all in like a certain file that if you join groups, you can have access to or things like that. So that can be super helpful just in getting, getting the ball rolling. Yeah. All right, next question. What are some ethical issues for Ancestry or 23andMe DNA testing for minors? Yes. Um, So technically, some of like the major DNA testing, such as, you know, people talk about 23andMe or Ancestry.com. Technically, you do need to be like 18 years old. Like that is the, the rule. I do know of families that I've worked with or people that have done that on their adoptees behalf. Um, So I think that when it's that case, I think it really just comes down to having really strong boundaries. And obviously, like this is something that's going to be like, you know, on the internet, like you have to access it on some kind of device. So like having a lot of um, 
like you know, not rules, but like just having some guidelines about like how they can access that if you guys are going to access that together. And just because it is like there's like safety components to it, especially if you guys do choose the option. For people that don't know, for a lot of these, there are options of if you want the version where you can uh, just get like your health history or like your genetic composition ancestry kind of stuff or there's the options where you can decide if you want to actually like see and be like matched with genetic relatives so I think that it's having to just have some reflection on like what would be most appropriate depending on the minor's age like obviously that would be different for like a seven-year-old versus like a 16-year-old yeah and I think too like taking into the conversation if they want to do that Mm -hmm. right like I think that that's like a really big piece to it too because it's something that they're wanting to do or feel comfortable doing. Yeah, like I would never, ever recommend just like an adoptive parent being like, okay, like, hey, I need you to like spit in this tube mm-hmm. here and not having had the conversation or – follow-up. Yeah, anything. or like having, you know, a, a, a conversation about like what this the, what this means and like what information could be gleaned from it. I think we have to have like really honest, open dialogues about that um, in an age-appropriate way if we're talking about minors. Yeah. So on that same vein, how do you contact potential siblings for DNA testing to contact birth mom or birth dad? That's Mm. tricky. That is tricky. That's tricky and that's layered because sometimes when we think that we have, we know who biological siblings are, the hard part is, are we going to be creating a rupture contacting them? We don't know if they know about us. Yeah. Right? And like whose responsibility Right. The, I think the ethical question becomes like whose responsibility is it to share that information? Yeah, which I think is it puts us in a really dicey position because um, obviously it sucks when we find out that we are a secret or that, you know, we've kind of been like in in the shadows and that puts us in a really awkward, uncomfortable position. Um, and I also think that it's it's really having to be mindful of there are likely reasons that that wasn't shared and not that it's condoning it, but it's, um, I think we have to be really careful how we tread on that. And I also think we have to like in the spectrum of possibilities, be prepared that siblings don't want to engage and that they don't, for whatever reason, maybe they don't want to believe that mom or dad could have had another child and kept that a secret. Maybe it challenges their belief of who mom and dad are and that's too much and blows them out of the water. So yes, it's our birthright to know this information. It doesn't mean that we always get that information, even if we know based off of who these like results, who our siblings are. Sometimes getting that information, it's just that's part of the grief, I think, is that we don't always have the clarity or it just might not even make sense. Another side is like it might not make sense for us where we are in our own journeys of processing and healing to do these tests or even reach out. Like I know in my case, because I don't know my paternal side, I have like been super curious but I also don't know if I'm ready to learn about my paternal side. Like yeah. that might open up a whole other – because I know what search and reunion is mm-hmm. and can bring. It also terrifies me to like open up another Pandora's box because it's already just been so much to navigate just on my maternal side. I feel that. It's like you'd like – obviously the curiosities are so natural and so real, but it's almost like the thought of like can I go through this again? again? Like can I deal with this again? Right. So I totally get that. I mean I think going back to the question – it's 
we have obviously we cannot force anybody to take a test and i think especially when you know maybe other people aren't familiar with dna testing or are really skeptical of it or just don't feel comfortable with it i think that we do have to respect those boundaries even though that's really really hard because in most cases when i see people requesting potential bio family to take dna tests it's because we want that certainty like we want to know 100 percent, like this is who it is and that's protective like we don't want to like waste our time and our energy if like this is not gonna go anywhere this person is or it's not gonna go anywhere which i totally get and i also think that we do have to be prepared that you know bio siblings or, or other relatives may not be willing to help us get that clarity on you know, what that relationship looks like or, or, or helping us with confirmation on, on birth parents, yeah. unfortunately. A follow-up question to that is how to navigate birth family and just having them take a DNA test in general. Yeah. I've had so many people bring this up. It's like, I think that it's really uncomfortable for people. I personally have not done that. I did not make the decision to do that. I totally understand and respect why some people feel like that's really, really necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just having to be really careful and mindful of how it's brought up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not leading with that of like, you know, first time being like, here, take this DNA test and like being super forceful about it or anything like that. And I think that in a lot of cases, like I was saying earlier, for people that aren't familiar with that stuff, um, like here in the U.S., I feel like that's become like such a common thing. But in yeah. like other countries, like this, this is not a thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that there has to be like some education around it and like having to kind of be vulnerable about like why, why? like yeah. why do I want this? Because I think sometimes it can be really offensive. Yeah, I've heard about, you know, cases where bio family was like really offended of like, well, why don't you believe me? Or like, why aren't yeah. you trusting me? Or like, why? Like, you know, like, it's almost like a, t- like a I mean, this is an actual test, but like, it's like a, you know, like, yeah, there's like a, it's like a, phys- like, like a we have to have this test. evidence. Yeah. 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 And so I think that sometimes that can, that can cause ruptures Rupture. with things. Yeah. So I yeah. think that it's just being really sensitive, intentional, super sensitive. And also, um, you know, if they don't want to do it, they don't have to. Yeah. I think you're always within the right to be able to do and ask. Totally. It's just how you go about that. I think like you're saying, the intentionality is just so key. Yeah. And I think that there are really sensitive, trauma-informed ways to ask about that like and I think that part of it is adoptee like our experience isn't attuned to like most bio families or you know anybody doesn't really get like well why would you need this right if I'm telling you yes I'm your mother like shouldn't that be enough yeah right and so I think that being able to go into it and be like you know what like I really appreciate you sharing all of this stuff like I I, I really want this relationship to work. This would just bring me such peace of mind. Yeah. Like that's such a different approach than being like, you have to take this and like, totally. you know, being like really forceful with it. Or even like even in different countries, the disparity is with our access to medical care. So sometimes yes. too, like I haven't done it, but one thing that makes me so curious is about like all the medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And that might be another way to approach it too and just say like, this is really important to me because I want to grow my family or I want to have these answers for my kids or I want to know yes. kind of like what I can expect. There's been so much unpredictability in my life. This has been such a source of anxiety not having my medical. Yeah. And so if I can just have this and like confirm it with you and see if there's like trends here or whatever, 
that would also be reassuring for me. Right, because most people don't think about that. Like most people don't think about how for the majority of our lives we've had to just say like, I don't know, I don't have access to medical history. And I think when we put it like that, that puts people less on the defensive and it's like, oh, like I never thought about that. Like of course you would want to know that and just make them more open. And I also think that the reality of these tests is – and this is something that we just all have to be mindful of, like that information is now out there, right? Like that is like, you know, when you are doing this, and that's why going back to that question about minors, like we do have to be careful of like you are giving consent that whatever entity you're using has access to that information. If you're going to be involved in like, they have like little research platforms and things like that. And like potentially birth family doesn't feel comfortable with that and doesn't want, you know, the government or whatever to have like access to things or is fearful of stuff. And, um, you know, I think that that's. Or yeah. Or like, even if you're a minor and say, you know, a great aunt is on there, well then technically they could reach out to that child and now you're navigating, okay, is it appropriate or okay to open this relationship? Maybe my child wasn't looking for a great aunt or needing that connection or wanting that connection. They were Mm -hmm. looking for, and that's a lot mm-hmm. to navigate and then having to explain those dynamics again depending right. on the or child maybe, the age yeah. developmental like all these things go into play mm-hmm. and i'm not saying they shouldn't or they couldn't but it adds a little bit of complexity and pressure on the child i think to have to make yeah. like these big decisions in real time when maybe that's just like not even how they were conceptualizing it to begin with right like definitely not something to do on a whim and i think that it it's it really sucks that as adoptees, like these are the means that we have to go through, like right. in order for me as, you know, a young adult to get any semblance of medical history. Like I had to go buy a freaking like DNA test to get anything um, like that really sucks. And I hold all adoptees like with a lot of care that like these this is the reality of how we right. sometimes have to get our information. But I also think it's something we have to be really mindful about because like this is our information and something that like is really precious and that we need to you know be be careful with absolutely especially when we talk about boundaries and stuff like that okay um so many good questions here okay so what if you're scared to search because you're afraid of what you'll find like that hard info like sometimes the unknown for people can actually feel more comfortable that's a really good question and i can totally empathize with that. I think I was even just getting to that with, you know, like why I don't always know if I want to search because sometimes for me, maybe the comfort is kind of staying in the space when it comes to knowing, just knowing my history and all of that stuff. Like it just might feel a little bit cleaner for me to just not have to open up that door. Well, it's like more predictable, right? It's like, okay, like this is just what I've put in that spot. And like, this is like how I've held it. And it's like, that's just like what our system's like grown around. So like the thought of putting anything else there is like, ooh. Yeah, like that unknown might kind of feel like I might not have a tolerance. And just like whoever wrote this question, I just want you to hear that that's like okay. (laughs) And like, I feel like everyone I've ever encountered that goes like, like, that thought, like, of course that is going to go through your mind. Of course that is going to be mm-hmm. a thought. Like, that makes so much sense. Like, yeah. of course you're going to be scared of, like, what am I going to find out? Like, what am I going to uncover here? Yeah, and, like, 
I'm not saying that this is whoever wrote this question, that this is what you're doing. But I think as adoptees, we really can tend to catastrophize a lot. So like always what I mean by that is like go to the worst case scenario. So before we hopped on, Marcella and I were talking about like DNA testing and she showed me her results. And like there's like this whole health part. And I was like, yep, I bet mine would be the worst results here and mine would be the worst results here. And I'm sure I had this and this and this and this. Yeah, it was because like my chicken system, little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Yeah. It's like this catastrophizing that happens. Like there's something in my belief system, right, that apparently I need to continue to work through that is like, why do I always assume like the worst case scenario is always going to be applied to me, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe, I mean, maybe it would be, maybe it would be. And then, then I would have to like really be intentional about, okay, well, who are my supportive people? Where are my safe places? Like what yeah. are like my coping strategies to get through that? And chances are in every single category, it's not going to be like the biggest doom and gloom. There'll probably be some glimmers in there that I can like grasp to and learn more about. It's just, am I prepared and ready to take that leap to explore that? And if I'm not ready, there's no shame in that. It's just like honoring where I'm at with that and noticing that. And like, that's okay too. Again, just because we see people having these tools, it doesn't mean that we have to use them. We just have to like be careful that we're really listening to what feels authentic to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it is. And I think that even, I I think it definitely comes up for people like pre-search and reunion, but like as somebody, and maybe you've experienced this too, after being in reunion so many years, like that still comes up for me. Of like, am I going to find out something new, right? Like, am I going, is like something else going to come up? Like, is there going to be some other little nugget that's dropped that I'm going to, have to integrate and like it's really hard like especially as adults like we've kind of like built our framework around things and so it is really tough to have to integrate new information that most of us when we're going into reunion as adults like we've already built our construct and so like changing that is really really challenging and I just want to normalize that but it is I think it's just a continuous a continuous thing on the radar of like oh what else am I gonna what yeah. else am I going to find out? What else is like what else is out in there? store? Totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I would say though, like don't if, – if searching is something that is truly on your heart and like your nervous system is just pointing you in that direction, um, I, I would say just like don't let that fear of the unknown be what like deters you from doing that. Because I think even though absolutely there's always going to be unknowns and like things that pop up that maybe we weren't expecting, there oftentimes is potential for like some some okay stuff too. Yeah. And oftentimes reunion will leave us with more questions and answers, even if like in our face we have a DNA like breakdown and matches, like that can still lead to more questions and answers, ironically. Yeah. So just know that you're not alone in those curiosities and you get to take your time and how you unpack that. You can let that stuff integrate. There's no, once you search and you get your report, okay, now like this like time clock is going and you have to, you know, rush and go meet everybody or go like, no, like you can sit with that information and really take your time to make meaning of what that feels like for you. Again, there's no right or wrong way to navigate that. It's just kind of like what feels intuitively right for you. But we see you in that because that's tricky stuff. And as you can hear, we also go back and forth about what that feels and looks like for us. All right. So let's keep moving on because these questions are really good. I know. Really good questions, everyone. What recommendations do you have for people who want to search? Where do you start emotionally? 
I feel like I keep saying like the same thing and I don't like that I sound so redundant, but I, I think that it is a personal thing for everyone. I don't think that anybody is like, there's no one size fits all policy for it. Um, I think we were talking about this before. Like when I got to a place where I wanted to search, it was just like this internal, like it was just this knowing and this mm-hmm. sense of like, and I, I wasn't anxious about it. Like I wasn't stressed. Like my, my nervous system was just able to feel this stillness with like, this is what I need to do. And I need to take these next steps, which was something that prior to that in my life, like I hadn't experienced. I was always pretty like, not anti-search, but like I just didn't think that that was something that I needed. Um, and that that was just kind of how I came to the place of like, yeah, like this is something that that I'm needing. Um, but I think that that's different for everyone. And I don't think that I would have come to that place had I not done a, a shit ton of therapy and a lot of my own stuff to be at that point. Like at that point, I had been in therapy for quite a long time. I had been actively doing trauma work and EMDR and reprocessing and all kinds of like, you know, other holistic stuff. And I do think that that cleared a lot of stuff out for me to even look at this as like a possibility and something that I wanted to pursue. So I think part of that emotional piece is like getting the support and getting help and like finding your community of people that will, you know, be your ride or dies throughout every up and down of that, of that process. Yeah. My reunion was so much more impulsive. Like I found my birth mom (laughs) the same day I called. And so like, I can't believe it, but it just speaks to like where you are when you're 15 years old and just kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can fly by the seat of your pants and there's just like other trauma responses in that as well, which I acknowledge. Um, Mine was not as thought through and like, what would I know what I knowing what I know now, I wish I had kind of just taken a beat and sat with it. I don't think it would have changed the outcome at all by any means, but it would have given me a chance to really think through more like, okay, how might this impact, you know, my birth mom or my biological family? How might this impact my adoptive parents? And just understanding a little bit better that this is like bigger than just me. And even though this is my birthright, I also wanted to, I, I wish I had been a little bit more mindful about just how I wanted to have those conversations or how mm. I wanted to navigate that. And I was not thinking about what does my support system look like? Not that I didn't have the support, but I didn't make sure that that was like an open conversation so yeah. everybody then was kind of like in survival mode trying to like support there was such like an urgency it. it was more to like it. this yeah. like reactive rather yeah. than like being proactive to it and so like yeah. i think that it was beautiful and amazing and wonderful in like all the ways and it was also very like oh gosh what has amy done like she's right. done this thing. and like now we're kind of like everybody's just kind of like whoa this like massive avalanche is rolling towards us and we don't really have time to like build something to slow it down a little bit. It just kind of like came full force. So I think that again, you know, just, I think the support is so key. We kind of harp on that in every episode on anything is just support is just so massive. Community is so important. And also really like doing your own work to really, really know what feels authentic and true for you. I think a lot of times as an adoptive person, we get out of touch with what authentically feels right because we're so busy trying to meet the needs of others as a protective strategy to not fall out of attachment. 
mm-hmm. that we can get really like it can get muddy. I'm like, do I really want that? Or do I just like think I want that because that person wants that for me? And so I think just getting really in touch with, uh, yeah, this is what I really want. Like I'm ready for this. And the the reality is I don't think anyone's 100% ready to enter reunion like or to no. search. Like there's no. so many scary things, so many questions, so many doubts. It would so be impossible doubts. to like be yeah. quote unquote ready for that. Like I don't think that there's ever a perfect time. I don't think that you can ever like have all of your ducks in a row and mm-hmm. be like totally 100% like quote unquote like prepared. Like it would just be impossible. But I think that there are steps you can take in terms of like, do I have a therapist that's going to help me, you know, conceptualize and like, you know, dive into some of these hard questions? Am I like actively caring for myself? Do I have people, you know, in my corner that can be attuned and that understand that this is going to be really difficult? Have I, you know, maybe done some of that inner child work to you know, prepare for these potential blows and how that may affect like these parts of me that are naturally going to be activated by any kind of like news about this. So I think that it is like those are all ways to, you're never going to be 100% emotionally prepared, but at least to be more on, more on point. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. What do you do when BioFamily meets adoptive parents? We were talking about this. You can go first with that one. A little fresh. I think <laughs> I think that this is like a really complicated thing because it again, there's like not a one size fits all on your relationship with your adoptive family, your relationship with your biological family, how they conceptualize the roles that they've played in each other's life and in your life. Like there's so many dynamics even within that that it can look just so drastically different for every person. For me personally, I have major anxiety when my worlds collide. So my adoptive parents are divorced and then I'm an adoptee and I'm in reunion. And so I feel comfortable when I'm with my biological family. I feel comfortable when I'm with my mom's family. I feel comfortable when I'm with my dad's family. I get really massively uncomfortable when they are like in the same space. And that's not necessarily because anybody is doing anything, you know, inappropriate inappropriate or or to be spiteful. It's just like, I am a different daughter in all of those spaces because I have different relationships and there's different birth order and there's different culture and not just like, you know, Chile versus the United States. There's different familial culture. And so navigating all that for me, just really hard when inherently there's just so many parts of me that want to be able to show up and be able to support and be able to be present, that can just look really different when there's so many different things. So I can totally appreciate like the heaviness that comes with the thought of them, you know, being in the same space, interacting, communicating. And it doesn't always have to be that way. Like I think that, you know, sometimes adopt adoptees, think that that has to be a part of the reunion story and Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't like even like if you have a partner if you're an adult for example and you maybe you don't want you know adoptive parents or you know part of that experience and you want your partner to be there I think the most important like we talked we've talked about this outside of the podcast is just like keeping reunion just so adoptee centered no matter who's there to support you so whether you're a minor whether it's your partner whether it's your adoptive parents just keeping the experience really focused on what is going to make you as the adoptee 
feel like you have the most access to yourself to be able to stay in connection with yourself and with the people around you. Yeah, for sure. I think it being adoptee centered is huge. And I think that that's a struggle um, and does not mean at any point that if adoptive parents or family is involved, that they can't have their own like thoughts and feelings and reactions to things, because obviously this is a really big deal. Um, but I think that the focus for everyone has to be on the adoptee, that this is like about them. And I think sometimes that can be misconstrued as like it's selfish or that it's like not leaving space for anything else. But I think because we are the person that is like impacted directly and is being like stretched in these two different directions and feeling those loyalty binds really strongly, like I I think that it makes sense that, you know, we have to be like the top priority in that. And that doesn't mean that we can't hold an abundance of compassion and understanding for the fact that other people have emotions and responses. But, you know, I think that we've got to be what everybody else is orbiting around um, at whatever stage of this experience. And, um, you know, I think it's also really hard for those of us who also have like other adopted siblings um, who maybe aren't in that same Mm. place and um, who maybe haven't done a search and reunion or don't want to or haven't come out of the fog or just are in different stages and then navigating like, well, do I invite them to this? Do I not? Like, do I have them there? Is that going to cause issues because of their own unhealed stuff? So I think that there's just a lot of stuff to navigate in terms of who feels the safest to be there and you know who has a history of being able to be attuned and show up for you and not take things personally and can genuinely just hold hold the space like those are your people that's who you want there and if you determine that there aren't very many of those people like that is that is okay too yeah yeah it's hard the world's colliding thing really um is kind of like a mind fuck yeah, it's really hard. And for some people, it's, you know, like, again, there's a spectrum for everything. Some For some people, they don't notice it that much. It's not yeah. that hard to hold it. So just, like, again, there's no right or wrong way. It just – it makes sense. It would make a lot of sense if that's, like, hard for you too to just kind of, like, yeah. navigate all the different dynamics. Our bodies, our systems are just, like, so wired when we have complex trauma to read other people's reactions, their body language – you know, picking up on their tone. And so the more people that are in a room or in one space can cause us to feel overstimulated and really overwhelmed. And then you add it with layers of like a lot of expectations and pressure and love and grief and cultural differences differences. Like there's so much at play that like it makes sense in those moments that we, rather than being able to be present, like kind of would, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, shut down, collapse, like have a very real trauma response to that. So just like really like reiterating that regardless of how you navigate that, just knowing that like taking care of yourself is essential. Yeah. I think that one thing that comes to mind with that and you had kind of touched on it is sometimes when we're talking about minors that are in reunion, Mm -hmm. obviously adoptive parents are are a part of that in a different way than if it's an adult and they're kind of choosing that a little bit more. And so I think that for adoptive parents in that position, it's like your main role there is to be like co-regulator central there 
for the adoptee throughout that process, throughout all of the ups and downs. And I think kind of going back to a previous question about like, how can you prepare yourself emotionally? It's figuring out like, does it feel better for me to have a ton of different nervous systems in the room? Is it kind of feel safer and better for me for it to just be, you know, like me and one other person's nervous system? Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot to navigate in and of itself. And, you know, because that, like you said, I totally agree with that, that if there's so many people in the room in different stages of healing, all with different protective parts and trauma responses, like that can just feel so overwhelming. Like it's so easy to get drowned by that. And then like that takes away from your search and reunion experience, um, even if it's not like an intentional thing. Yeah. 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 So doing what's best for you. Yeah. That's what it always – that's like what it always comes down to. Yeah. Um, Okay. So another question that we had is do you think healing is possible if you don't enter reunion? Mm. Um, I think that for me, the word healing or just what that encompasses is different for everyone, right? Like for some people, healing can look like I have found, you know, the answers to certain questions. Healing can be that I just feel more comfortable leaning into connections with other people. It could be that I and more aware of my body and like the cues of safety and the cues that I'm going into protective mode. It could be that, you know, I call it like the bounce back time of when something really hard happens, like you're able to bounce back and get back to a baseline faster. So I think that there are so many ways to define healing and there is no right or wrong. It's just like what you are needing. I am somebody that does not think that reunion, even though it's been painted that way, is like the finish line or like Mm -hmm. the end all be all of, okay, once this happens, everything comes full circle and it's healed. Because like we've talked about a lot of times, it brings more questions than answers or a lot more challenges. So I don't think that anybody's healing should have to hinge on that. I think that that's a way that we can just kind of like feel like we keep hitting a wall And I also think that when people hold that belief, it's we have to be really clear and curious about like, what are your expectations of reunion? Like, are you holding the belief that reuniting means that it's going to be like how it's depicted in the movies? Do I have the expectation that I'm going to get a complete answer to every single one of the questions I've ever had? Is it going to be that we're going to like be talking all the time and have this like amazing, really connecting relationship. Like I think sometimes when we hold those kinds of expectations, it's really easy to feel like we can't heal until yeah. we have that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with a hundred. I echo all of that. I, yeah. Healing for us looks so different. I think it's about our relationship with the grief that is like important to to think about. Um, because what we think of healing today might also look very different than what it looks like five years from now or 10 years from now, like things we experience things in life that just change our worldview. So, or we experience certain milestones that get us curious about different things. So allowing that to like ebb and flow and you, we might think that we're past something and then something else happens in life and we realize, oh my gosh, like I, I haven't fully worked through something the way I thought I had. Right. And so giving ourselves permission to just be like really, able to meet ourselves where we're at in this process. And I think whether you're in reunion or not, or whether whether you're in reunion or you're not in reunion, 
you're just doing really hard work. Yeah. Like there's just a lot that your system's navigating as a whole all the time. And I don't think that like we were saying, you know, reunion can bring more questions than answers and than answers sometimes. And that's really normal. And, you know, it's like a brave and courageous thing to have this experience just in your life. And it's maybe not something that you asked for, but it's hard no matter what, like no matter what your vantage point is, whether you're in reunion or not, like you're holding a lot. And so I think it's like, Mm -hmm. if we just look at it as like, how is my relationship with grief? Is it something that's literally like on top of me? Or is it something that I'm learning to like walk alongside and I have a little bit more control on how I take care of myself, on how I, you know, like you were saying, the bounce back time, like how Mm -hmm. I'm able to like move and groove and just like really attune to my needs. But yeah, I don't, I think that's such a complicated question because it just can look so different for everybody at different stages of their life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like too, and this is just something that I've kind of come to terms with and things that I share with like my clients, like absolutely we have gone through something really, really traumatic, but I think that societally, like there's been this like buzzword of like healing and like your healing journey. And like, Mm -hmm. I use that verbiage sometimes too. I think sometimes it just, I, I see it differently. I think that a lot of times the way society views it is that this healing journey happens because like we're broken like we're broken and we need to be healed whereas like you and i talk about so much our systems just had to be really creative with how to survive stuff and how our nervous systems had to you know make decisions on how to deal with really really hard things that we've been through and still like get through and survive and so i i think that healing is something that can maybe bring senses of peace for people or just more connection or, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I don't like looking at it as a, from a place of like, oh my gosh, like I'm broken if yeah. I don't have this because like we are, we are not broken. We have gone through very, very difficult things, but like there is nothing wrong with us. Like we are not broken. Um, yeah. And I think that that is, you know, something just to consider with the healing. Cause I think so often it's, it's portrayed that the reunion is like the magic antidote that's going to make us like not broken anymore. And, um, and we know that that's not necessarily, it's not. And like you said, there's like so many layers to healing. And even just with clients I've worked with, you cycle through stuff and like, you know, what a five-year-old comes into me with, you know, we might tackle and then they might come back when they're 12 and then they might come back when they're 16. And like, there's just like layers to healing. And um, I think that that's fundamentally just being able to lean in and be more connected and comfortable with like who we are and what we carry and how we, you know, bring that out into the world and our relationships. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Great question though. Great question. Um, Yeah. Yeah, whoever and asked for, that. Yeah, and for people that really do feel like that is something that they are called to do and for whatever reason that isn't able to happen, mm-hmm. then like we hold space for that and like hold space for that grief and like we're really sorry that that isn't able to be a happen for yeah. whatever reason because it is something that we do absolutely have a right to and those curiosities really, really matter. And sometimes for, because of things nothing to do with us, it's just not able to be – a thing. Totally. Okay. So another question that we had gotten was if you are an adoptee and have a family of your own, have kids, like how do you have these conversations about search and reunion with 
your child. You know, adoption doesn't just impact our lives as adoptees. It literally shifts and alters generations and impacts generations in like really meaningful ways. I have two biological kids of my own and they ask these really beautiful questions all the time. They know that Mm -hmm. mommy's adopted. And I think for me, what I try to explain in like a really age appropriate way, because they understand like I grew in mommy's belly and I, mommy gave birth to me and I always, I like, Mm -hmm. you know, I really get to like revel in the things with them that I never was able to have as an adopted person. You know, I really love sharing those stories with them. And I explained to them that there's like so many mommies in the world that are able for a lot of reasons, um, they're able to give birth and then those babies get to go home with them. Mm-hmm. And that's like what our family looks like. And then there's like lots of mommies in the world where for a million reasons, like more than our imaginations could even like create, unfortunately, like there's a lot of devastating reasons that those mommies weren't able to bring their babies home from the hospital. Yeah. And that those – so like mommy never had – mommy wasn't raised to like – wasn't raised in the home as her tummy mommy. And I think that that can like – be shocking for them. And again, it depends on the age of your kid too that you're talking to and like how you're unpacking all of that. But I think for kids, when we're talking about our adoption stories, our kids need to hear from us that that is not something that's going to happen to them. That Mm -hmm. like they're not going to lose connection with you. That that was something that happened in your story. That's something that impacted you, but that they are not going to be rejected, abandoned, or that they will never have to be in the position of having to like search for like search us, for like yeah. how we're having to do yeah. in our situation. Yeah. And I also explained to them that like sometimes it makes me really sad. Like sometimes there's mm-hmm. moments where like they're harder for me. Like my birthday can be harder for me or Mother's Day can be harder for me. Um, and they can they get that, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I think that it's like explaining to them in an honest way how it's impacted your life and also reassuring them the safety that they have in your relationship. I think that those are really important things. Yeah. I think what comes to mind for me, because a lot of times with kids, like them having conversations with, you know, us about it, like that's the the first time that they may be exposed to this, right? Like they might not have kids at school that are like, oh, you know, my mom is, you know, searching for her family or like, you know, she's trying to find family in Columbia or like whatever place. So I think that it is really about having open, honest, age appropriate conversations Mm -hmm. about it. And I totally understand how within a search process, there's a spectrum of sometimes people want to be very, very open throughout that process. Some people want to wait until they have something more concrete to share. Some people want to keep it super, super private. I think to your point, when we're talking about an adoptee having children, like that does impact them. Like this is part of their history Mm -hmm. and part of their story and part of their, um, part of their life. And so I, I am of the belief that, you know, we do owe some kind of information and like explanation about that. Um, but I think that it is on a case by case basis of when, like for some kids that may cause a lot of anxiety to know like, oh my gosh, like mom or dad is going to go and like find these people and they're strangers and like, that's going to be really uncomfortable or like, we're all going to go meet them together. Like that can cause a lot of very valid emotions for them. And so maybe you do have children that 
it would be best to wait until you have something super concrete or to give them a sense of choice of like, would you like to meet these people or not? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, would you like if there's a language barrier, would you like to learn X language along with me so that we can talk to them? Like, I think that there are absolutely ways to integrate kids into that process um but also giving them choice because like that is so much like that is so much to process yeah and there's no way especially our younger kids like there's no way that they can fully conceptualize all of that right yeah like there's just no way that they fully can you know like it doesn't mean that they can't feel it doesn't mean that they can't have their own emotions or thoughts about it but to really like see full circle like the depth and the intensity of it and so i think that you know like always reminding them even outside of those like big conversations when we're sitting down and talking about like the meat of what everything is mm-hmm. dropping in reminders like that you're safe here like you're safe with me and that not to say that like we would necessarily not be safe with our biological families but that reassurance of like we are not going to fall out of connection like you mm-hmm. never have to worry about mommy placing you or mommy you know not being here one day in that capacity yeah. And I think that that's really important. For, I really think that that's important for those reminders to integrate for them. Yeah. The last thing that I would say on that is that obviously we know search and reunion process brings so many ups and downs. And naturally, like as our bodies and systems are trying to integrate that and process all of it, like sometimes we're just not at our best. Like sometimes, like you said, like we're really sad or sometimes yeah. like we're really angry or sometimes like we're just we're just carrying a lot and that can impact how we totally. are able to show up for kids or how we respond to them or like maybe we get a little more reactive one day. And so I think that that's an opportunity too for being really open and honest and repairing it of like, you know what, like mommy's just going through a lot right now and has a lot of really big feelings about, you know, what I'm going to find with my birth family or like, you know, I had a hard conversation with, you know, bio family or whatever language you would refer to it as. And I talk to you in a way that I shouldn't have and I'm sorry. Yeah. And like being able to repair that because how we navigate relationships and the stuff that comes up with it in reunions and searches absolutely bleeds into other areas of our lives. Yeah. Um, and so I think especially when we're talking about like, you know, our babies and like little children yeah. and even if they're teenagers or, you know, adults, adults children, yeah. it can still be your adult children that you're explaining this to. Um, you know, just being able to to own that and be honest of like you have every right to your emotions and how you need to process that. But when we're talking about, you know, being in a parent-child relationship at the same time with your kid, um, like we have to be able to yeah. own up to that. And I, I always like to tell my kids too, like when I know that maybe I was just like my, you know, my fuse was a little shorter than it normally is or if I'm just like really past capacity, I always like to tell them like, you know, apologize and I always like to tell them, like, this is not your responsibility to yeah. figure out. That this is, like, mommy's stuff and I need to do a better job at figuring out how to, like, manage my stuff. Like, yeah. if mommy's upset, it's not because of you and it's not your job to fix that sadness for mommy. Yeah. And I really like to reinforce that for them, too, in the moments where I have, like, you know, because none of us are perfect and we all do the best mm-hmm. we can. And sometimes these do blow us way past – out, like, blow us yeah. out of the water, you know, way yeah. out of our window of tolerance. So, yeah, I think that's how we can have honest, open conversations with kids about the topic of like all like a lot of the complexities of adoption that aren't 
societally talked about very right. often. Like I think that's yet another way the nuance that we can yeah. break cycles of like not talking about this stuff and like totally. having it be an okay thing. So totally. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. But then you we our last question that we had and I see this like all the time is um, and I see this a lot with like my parents that have minor children still of that parents have Google searched, Facebook searched, social media searched. That's really hard to say. Social <laughs> media searched members of bio family based on info they have found something and then have not talked to their kids about told it. their child about it. And I always, I always think that gets very muddied. Yeah, but yeah, had you come across that? Oh my before? god, I see all that the time. all the time. Now, and it's like, like at our age, like my parents couldn't do that. Like we didn't even no. have like all of like social medias and all of that stuff. So I think that like over the last you know ten ish years since social media has really like boomed and like Google searching has just become so common. I think that that is something that I see all the time. So 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 much. Yeah, and I can appreciate the curiosity of like wanting to use these as tools right because like again like you said when we were younger this just like wasn't even in the realm of possibilities so like I can appreciate that mm -hmm. or appreciate wanting to have some information that because like that can feel a lot safer than having no information right or like sometimes the lines can feel really muddy or really blurry if it is an open adoption right mm -hmm. but I think that like Birth parents and birth families also have the right to their own privacy. Totally. And they have the right to, like, be able to live their own lives without feeling that they're being, like, assessed or judged or, or even policed. tracked, it's you like know? It's like a form of policing, I think, sometimes. Yeah. 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 And I know that that, like, for most adoptive parents probably isn't, like, the intention behind mm -hmm. it. It probably is, like, I just want to track. So, like, if my kid asks questions or if my kid – Or I can find a picture of them. Right, or, yeah. right. But at the end of the day, like, if you just, like, stop for a second and think about what that might, like, feel like for you if somebody was just, like, from afar keeping tabs on your moves, you know, what might that feel like? And with that, like, how might that impact, like, your sense of – felt sense of safety right like they might mm -hmm. not even know like you might not even let them know that you're following them but still like but I do think that it's important like if you do find out information regardless of what that is that you find a way to share that with your child mm -hmm. because that's something that they deserve to know yeah I think there's like a couple of avenues that I always touch on with this is number one like you said of just members of birth family, biological family, like they still have rights too. And in many, many cases, they don't have that same, you know, luxury or privilege of like Googling you. Like they might not have your information as an adoptive parent or be able to like find your stuff because that's not how a lot of cases work. And so I think that that can be really hard. And I think that a lot of times if an adoptive family finds things that they don't necessarily approve of or are questionable, number one, like social media, like we don't have all the context. So like if we're taking things just at like face value of like what we see on somebody's post, like I think a lot of times conclusions get jumped to it that aren't always um, fair or accurate or like an accurate portrayal right. of things. So I think that is a huge thing of just remembering that this these family members still absolutely have rights. I think the other part of it is that um, in this age of technology, 
um, you open up this this door. Like there are safety issues in terms of technology. If you as the parent are Facebook searching, Google searching, all of these things, but number one, your child doesn't even have the information of like who, like the names, that's already like this imbalance of power. Right. And then also if it's okay for you to Facebook search and do all that, but you've made it clear like, but you can't Facebook search, kid. Like that is really like I think that that's really messed up. Like, yeah, I think that because that it's that not is, your story and your information. It's not your story. It's not your information. And then like you get put in the role of like you know all of this information that they don't have. And with so many adoptees that I work with, like they just they are like yearning for like even a nugget of information, right? Like something just so tiny, like a name can move mountains. A name, just I can see a picture of them. Yeah. I can see when their birthday. It's like any of it. Yeah. If I have siblings, right? Anything. And I think that that just puts adoptive parents in a really messy position because if you don't tell, you're you're lying. Like if you do not tell what you found, you're rupturing the trust with you and well, yeah, that child. Well, yeah, because you have to be able to explain or be prepared to explain to your child like why did – like if I was an adoptee, my oh, – I am an adoptee. But if I was younger, I mean, yeah, I would – like my natural question would be like why didn't you tell me? Like, why wouldn't you yeah. tell me this? Why did you keep this why from me? Why did you keep this from me? And you have to be prepared to answer that. And and acknowledge that, like, maybe your intentions for doing it were good, but you were really impulsive. Like, I, I talked to so many families that this was just such an impulse thing of, like, oh, I'm just going to Google the name. And then I go down the rabbit hole. And now I find myself, like, but like looking every day and refreshing and seeing if there's yeah. anything new. And it's just, like, it's oh, my gosh. It's such an issue of – privilege, yes. right? Like it's an issue of privilege. Like you have the means, the resources, the tools to be able to do yeah. those little searches. Whereas like we are just left in the dark, just wondering and grasping for anything. Mm -hmm. And like the privilege, like you said, the imbalance of power in that is so stark and it like really, 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 like I can feel it. Like that's like such mm -hmm. a privileged thing to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that it is something that adoptive parents have to be really careful because what I what I see that as is basically you are initiating a search process without knowing if that's something that your child is wanting, is ready for, is like, you know, all of those kinds of things. Like you're not looping them into the process that directly concerns them. You're kind of just like taking your, like it's about your own curiosities at that point. It's about quelling your own questions or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And I think that that is just not adoptee centered at all, even though it can kind of pass under the guise of, but I was finding it for them and I was finding it to like, you know, see what's going on. If you're doing that and not including the adoptee let, or, or even sharing that information, like it's it's about you. Yeah. It's about you. And I think that that's something that people have to be really – Sensitive to. Really me. sensitive to. Yeah. 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 It's so messy with social media. And then I think something I've seen is that when parents don't share readily, like it always comes out. Like it just always does. It, it always comes out. And then you've become the bad guy for not telling – and then also if parents do share, then just something that I kind of encourage parents to think about is if you do share and they now know, this adoptee now knows that you got this information off of the internet, 
you're going to have to have some hard conversations about like internet boundaries because yeah. of course the natural temptation is going to be, oh my God, can I message them? Or like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. can I have some kind of contact and all of those things? And so like you can go down a slippery slope like really, really quick. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's a complicated thing. I can appreciate, you know, from a parent's standpoint of wanting to fall into that, like, that protective role. But again, remembering that there's just certain things that like are really you're, like a child's story and they deserve to it kind of like goes back to like the whole hard truth conversation like when we think about like being in the doctor's office and like you finding out like bad information like it sucks but like as long as you have support and resources you can still work through it like it makes it easier when you have that Mm co-regulation and I kind of think about that too like how would it feel if you were to get really big news but like your partner was told before you or like your parents were told before you, like how would that make you feel? Not and great. Yeah. The answer like, is not great. Yeah. Because like it's your information. Like you deserve to yeah. like be the one to receive it. You deserve to be the one to like hear about the details, ask the questions, mm-hmm. you know, and like when parents are even in contact and getting information, they might be asking questions that aren't even important to an adopted person. Like I always think it's really interesting. Parents are like worried about X, Y, and Z and their kid is like just really curious about, oh, I just want to see you. Like, is it, uh, can I like talk to you? Yeah. Or like, what would it be okay if we like, you know, like they're just, we're focused on different things because we're just like really like enamored with the ability to connect. Right. So I think that like we can be really misattuned. It can be really well-intentioned and well-meaning. I don't want to like make this sound super shamey, but I also want to be really clear that we always have to keep adoptees centered in this whole conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And like the the last thing that I would add on this, just because we're talking about this like whole technology age that we're in is like this can also happen vice versa. Like sometimes now adoptees being brought up in this age do have access to Google, have access to social media, and maybe they are using that as means to try and search without letting adoptive parents or anybody else know. And I think Mm -hmm. that when that happens so often, it like all roads go back to if I'm doing this alone, it's because it's not safe to tell other people about it or it's because we haven't like there's stigmas around these conversations or like mom dad whoever is going to be upset with me for doing this and so i think that you know if that is something that you come across that like your you know your minor adoptee is searching you know on the internet without telling you like i think it's really important to keep your reactions in check to that like absolutely yeah. There can be safety concerns that we have to take into consideration and like have safe boundaries around technology use and things like that. And that is not something to like shame or judge or get upset with or, you know, punish an adoptee for. Yeah. And you're allowed to have your reaction. You're allowed to have your feelings. But that's, again, that's not your child's responsibility to navigate yeah. that for you. Like it may have to look like, oh, you know what? Like you were really curious about it. And I'm really sorry that you couldn't come to me if this is something that you're wanting to do, let's let's do this together, right? Yeah. Like let's type type in the stuff together, or you know that like those kinds or kinds of things. Right? We're gonna have to have like computer time together just because like we we have to make sure that this is like a safe thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good you question, guys, though. All of your questions have been so thoughtful and just so meaningful, and I think it's gotten our wheels turning even more about just like how to approach some of these topics in session or other families that we work with. 
we love being in community with every single one of you. So thank you for contributing to these conversations and these episodes. These definitely might be something that we can do again in the future because you guys were super responsive with your questions. Yeah. And just because this is like we're dwindling down to the end of this search and reunion mini series, absolutely. Please feel free to continue to reach out to us if there's something that maybe we didn't touch on, if there's something that you would at some point like us to do a deeper dive into, um, if you just like have feedback on any of these questions or things that we touched on throughout the series, like just because we're going to be moving on to other content and other topics does not mean that the window has closed for stuff about this topic. We always love hearing from you and um, hope that you keep in touch. You can always get in touch with us on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast or shoot us an email at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and tuning into Adoptee's Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, where you can now tune in and find all our episodes. If you like what you heard and want to continue the conversation, you can email us at adopteesdish at gmail.com or find us at Dish Podcast on Instagram. Please share this podcast, talk with others, and always remember we have the power to heal broken systems. Tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you.